0: Welcome to Multifamily Syndication Unscripted, a show that teaches investors the truth about multifamily real estate. Your hosts, Ben Labovich, Sam Grooms, and Scott Hollister have more than 30 years of combined experience in real estate and finance. We are active multifamily syndicators and operators, providing you with detailed and cycle-appropriate content. Absolutely no fluff. So, if you want to be smarter about how and where you put your capital to work, listen up. You will learn what works in today's market conditions. All right, welcome to the Multifamily Syndication Unscripted Show with Ben Labovich, Sam Rooms, and Scott Hollister as your co-host. How are you guys doing today? Doing phenomenal.
1: Still wearing the same shirt.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is the show that doesn't have a name, wear the same t-shirts.
1: You know, the, the, there was Seinfeld. Now there's Labovich you know it's not that unbelievable i mean you know i got great sense of humor fabulous looks you know it, it's all good
2: ben is a legend in his own mind <laughs> 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 oh
1: what are we talking about today underwriting revenue yeah other income bill underwriting re- revenue How much freaking revenue do you need to do a repositioning project? A lot. (laughs) A lot. What are we doing? We're basically doubling the NOI within the course of three years. And that basically is what our projects end up looking like. In order to work out, and again, we don't set out with this objective in mind, it's just in order for the numbers to make sense. In order, whenever, I should say, whenever the numbers make sense, what ends up happening is we double, we almost, not exactly double, but practically in, in, in come really close to doubling the NOI in three years. So yep. yeah, Sam's right. You need a lot of revenue. And, and so
2: far we talked about rents, but that's not all the revenue you get. So today we're talking about where else can we pick up revenue besides just your monthly rents?
1: And Samuel, where else can we pick up revenue? So the, the
2: two big line items are other income and utility billback, or you, what a lot of people use is rubs or, or so fluffy.
1: Other income is just like your wife is a hugely successful real estate agent and she sells million dollar homes and she makes a lot of money and you're a kept man. And that's your other income. Is that the other income you kind of had in mind? Patricia
2: would not appreciate you calling her income as the other income in this scenario. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. So you're the main course and she's just the other income.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: hilarious. Ben is no longer allowed in the rest of the episodes. We don't know what happened to him. Yeah.
2: We lost Ben. <laughs> I
1: just heard this. Yes. Okay. Let's go through it. Um, very high level stuff, right? Yeah. Go ahead. I'll, I'll let you take over. Um,
2: so a few other income. I mean, it's stuff like administrative fees, um, application fees, pet fees, uh, if you charge like a kind of any kind of cleaning fees, uh,
1: you know your, your your check balances, you got yeah. a fee. The you have a late fee. Funds, you got a fee. You're late on your on your, uh, you know, and there's a lot of perspective that has to actually go in this. You don't underwrite this in vacuum. Right. It, all of this kind of income a lot of it comes down to um, your tenant profile. I mean, things like late fees, things like insufficient balance fees, things like pet fees. But if you have pet fees, you have more damage to the property. So if you have pets, a lot of them, do you need to increase your expenses? and we haven't talked about expenses yet, I'm just trying to steer this ship in the direction you don't just slap a number on this revenue or that revenue without understanding what it's going to mean operation to your property.
2: And and you make a good point about the late fees and knowing your tenant base. So you could have a property that's very heavily reliant. I'm the one
1: and only Ben. Of course I'm making a good
2: point. (laughs) So you could have a property that has a lot of late fees and they have a ton of other income and I'm completely transforming the property. I'm upgrading my tenant base. I'm increasing rents. And I can't just assume that I'm going to carry over that other income. If it's based on something like late fees and I'm upgrading my tenant base, I might not have uh, late fees anymore. So I'm going to actually have to reduce my other income in that scenario. Um, What?
1: what are you doing to improving your quality of life? In the <laughs> first case, you're chasing people like there's no tomorrow when right. so you have money in the bank. In the second case, you've got the kind of people who appreciate the quality unit that they have and they want to be there and they're stable and they have a good job. And when their alternator goes out, it's not a question of pay my rent or fix my car. They have enough money to do both. Well, yeah, and there, there's
2: plenty, money. there's plenty offsetting it, right? I'm getting higher rents um, and we haven't got to it yet. And I think it's, Next episode, um, economic loss, and we'll talk about bad debt and that kind of stuff that you're going to get from those lower class tenants. So. Right.
1: Not to mention that if you're preparing the property, repositioning the property for sale, if you are a wise buyer, you are not going to capitalize the same kind of value on this other income, even if it's there, that you are on rents. Because if you understand the dynamics of what stands behind other income. And we're not talking about uh, utility reimbursement that we'll be talking about later. We're not talking about laundry, because everybody has to do laundry. I don't care you know, how much money you make at your job, you still have to do your laundry. So we're not talking about that, but we're talking about the kind of incomes that come to you as a result of people's behavior around their responsibilities of paying rent. Um, That's the kind of income where it's nice to have in lieu of not having higher rent or not having that income. But if it's a choice between having a much more stable property with stable people who can afford to pay more rent and not be late on it and not bounce checks versus have this property and you're kind of getting to the income, but you're taking a backdoor to it by collecting it in other line items. Yes, you don't ignore it. Yes, you do it. Just understand, be cognizant of the dynamics is what we're saying. Yep. Right. So that's one line item, other income. What's the next line item?
2: Well, and when we skipped over it, within other income is laundry income. And that's a big one. Um, and you can I talk about different.
1: Because I don't skip over shit like that. <laughs> I mentioned it. Thank you very much. <laughs>
2: You said we're not talking about laundry income is what you said. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, you mentioned it, but I'm going to consider that skipping over it.
1: That's hilarious. Scott, why don't you ever say anything? I'm like roasting here. (laughs) He's looking for help.
2: (laughs) Um, For laundry income, we, (coughs) we were able to increase that significantly going forward. Um, so one thing that we noticed when we were doing our due diligence is that the, the laundry lease, usually if it's a third party, you have a, say a 10 year lease that they are basically renting your laundry facility and then paying you a percentage of the revenue and the laundry facility at our, at Silver Tree was really subpar, um, didn't have AC, uh, and in Arizona, that's a big deal. Um, only half of the facility was being used with the machines. Um, a lot of them didn't seem operable. Um, the split between the property and the third party servicer wasn't great. Uh, the third party servicer was making a whole lot more money on the project. Um, so we noticed that the lease was coming up, I think two months after we purchased, after we closed. Um, so that was a chance for us to go in and renegotiate all of that, um, have them put in new machines, remodel the facility, actually, because half of it was unused, we made it in a fitness center. Um, but the biggest thing we did was before we were only getting 50% of the revenue, but that's not, or 50, not 50% of the profit um, after their costs are covered. So they're getting a whole lot of that revenue where now I think what we're 75, 25 at Silvertree. Um, so our income's going up significantly. Uh, just because we noticed that the laundry lease was coming up. So there's places, I think laundry is one of the biggest places where you can increase income in a situation like that. And it is. So the biggest, one of the biggest topics
0: I see is do you hire out and third party manage to take a less of a headache or do you buy your own laundromat system and take all that income, but deal with the headaches at the same time maintenance. And so why did you pick to, to release up and negotiate those
1: terms? Well, First of all, you know, like South Mountain, we closed. It's got five years left on the lease. If we break the lease, even if we wanted to, we break the lease. It's like, what is that? You know, it's going to cost us money, first Mm -hmm. of all. Second of all, uh, I don't want to be in the business of running laundry equipment. It's, it's, It's not, we looked at it, but at the end of the day, even if there were, extra profits to be had there weren't enough extra profits to be had to increase the workload on the on-site personnel or to increase my costs by having to outsource third party every time breaks. the upside
2: on the income was minimal but like we said the headache was astronomical it just seemed more than we wanted to take on it's like we could also manage our properties ourselves or we could do the managing of the construction and the renovation ourselves But why not pay a 3% fee or a 5% fee to unload that headache? No, well said.
1: Yeah. Uh, But again, it's very subject because of an important distinction. You would think that a laundry facility is providing a service. No, contractually, they are a tenant they are renting a space. There's a lease agreement in place between the property and the company, the vendor. And so you can't break that lease. You can't. It's it's usually a 10-year lease. And they are allowed to install their equipment inside of that space as part of that lease. So the idea of First of all, you only get really one inflection point where you can make any kind of decision, and that's once every ten years, because typically industry wide, that's a ten year lease. Uh, secondly, you know a fifty fifty is pretty standard. Seventy five twenty five, I think, you know, about I, I would think about as good Sam, as you can possibly get, and we get new equipment, new machines highest grade machines and things of that nature. Um, and why we're doing it? Because we're repositioning the tenant profile. So the kind of people we want at the property are the kind of people they are going to appreciate a little message on their iPhone that says, hey, your laundry uh, is done. Come move it from a washing machine to a dry machine, you know, which is something you can't do with an older style coin-operated uh, coin laundry kind of thing. So, uh, you know, it's it's you just kind of have to look at the pros and the cons, and it's deal deal specific. And
2: and one thing I'll say is, even if you're in, we have like Southbound, we have five years left on the lease. We're already approaching the servicer to see if we can renegotiate that. They're a business; they would like to increase their revenue. If we can say, hey, let's go in and complete. We want to remodel this. We want to put new floorings and paint. Put some new vending machines in this space. Um, and that'll increase your revenue as well as ours. Can we get some new machines for that and mm. their business they, they'll look at it and determine if their return is there for them. Um, so you can still approach them just because you're in a lease and maybe work out better terms, um, or work out new machines. Yeah. Maybe even extend it for them. Hey, let's enter a new
0: 10 year, but right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now let's talk about rubs. Ben, before the show, or even during the show, got a little uh, hot it hot about talking about rubs. Got a
1: little <laughs> Yeah, so, I was telling these guys a story how yeah you know, our property manager Sheldon Cook. Oh, uh, should
2: we step back and talk about what rubs is versus the other utility billbacks?
1: Yeah, I suppose. I suppose <laughs> that's probably the most logical progression.
2: Of <laughs> you know me.
1: Logical is not my compartment. That's you. So go ahead and identify the
2: baseline. Well, so, so there's different ways. So what we're doing is the property pays a lot of you know, costs and uh, utilities. So what we're doing is we're billing that back to the tenant and that's part of our other income. Um, so you, you can do it 90%, state, 100% uh, of your costs billing back. Um, that's dictated by your states. Um, so you definitely want to look in the laws, but for this conversation, we can just assume 90%. Um, and so what, when we took over SilverTree, it's a flat fee. Just, I think they were charging he was six. It
1: was a flat fee. Yeah. What he was charging them was a flat dollar amount every
2: yeah. month. $68 is what I think his amount was. Um, and so that's that's one of the more common ways to build back utilities. Um, it's pretty straightforward. It's easy. Um, it goes right in their lease. Um, but because it's that flat amount goes in their lease, you're locked in for the next year on being able to increase that amount. Um, so that's one of the downsides to a flat fee. Uh, you'd say your utility costs in the last year increased 10%. Well, it's gonna take me over a year before I can recoup that 10% from that tenant that I just locked in their lease.
1: Well, so there's a, couple of, there's a couple of issues. One issue is a liability, it's a legal issue. Yeah. Uh, there is not, I believe, there is not a single state in the United States that allows you as the landlord to make money on people's utilities, meaning that you cannot overbill people beyond your cost of those utilities, common area utilities. So if your property spent $100,000 on utilities, you can't bill people $105,000. Okay, Now, arguably what he was doing, the seller, because he had a flat rate, uh, it's almost a guarantee that that's exactly what was going on, that he was bringing in more money. First of all, it was a flat rate that was the same whether the unit was a, a studio unit or it was a two-bedroom, two-bath unit, which in and of itself is not fair because you're not using as much water in the studio unit as you are in a two-bedroom, two-bath unit with four or five occupants. You just, you just aren't. So what is the reason you're paying the same amount uh, in both cases? So it's inequitable. It's, it's, it's not cool. And chances are he was collecting more revenue from this line item uh, than the costs to the property, which
2: is well. He it was definitely more than the utility line item in his T twelve. Um, we don't know if he was including say trash service on top of that within that. Right. Um, so so the other way, if you don't want to do a flat fee, the other way to charge utilities back is what's called rubs or a ratio utility billing system, and that's basically a way to take my total costs and allocate that to the tenant based on various factors, it could be a single factor or multiple factors, whether that's uh, by number of bedrooms, by number of tenants, by bathrooms. So yeah. There's, or the really complicated ones uh, and third party ones use a combination of all of that.
1: So there's a matrix. They use a matrix to yep. kind of uh, underwrite all of that. And every month it's not a static thing. Every month, their inputs are static. But based on the property's utility expense, this amount changes every month. And so people have billed different different amount every month. Um, And you can do this in-house or you can do it third party. And so the funny thing I was telling these guys right before we uh, hit the record button is that RPM is quite large. They have probably over 20,000 units under management at this point. And we were talking to one of the owners about this issue with rubs, because frankly, there are some aspects of it I'm not a big fan of, and it seems overly complex for me in some ways. Um, But it was, I was literally yelling (laughs) practically yelling at one of the owners of the property management company. And he just, I was like, why should we do this instead of doing the simple thing and just, you know, let's not charge everybody the same amount. Let's charge people just, you know, if you're in a studio unit, you pay 50 bucks. If you're in a two bedroom, you pay $100, you know, that kind of thing. And he was like, well, because of the uh, municipalities as of recent really uh, picking up on identifying landlords who overbill on the utility, he says from a liability standpoint, it's just better to offset the liability onto a third party, which takes you into rubs. And he says, I know you don't see it, but I guess this is one of those instances where maybe you rely on our expertise. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you basically said that in a very nice way. <laughs> very nice, <laughs> nice <laughs> nice way. Sit got back, and a back.
1: up. What do you know about running apartment <laughs> building? I've got twenty thousand units under management, and you know he's right. He's right. So, so and there's extra costs. You know, the third party. It's 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 mm-hmm. taking. It's it, you know they have to be paid for that service. The, the, the country, advantage,
2: though, is you can actually bill the tenant for that cost as well. And so it's an extra admin fee on top of the utility. And then so basically that fee offsets your costs by using that third party.
1: Correct. So before we kind of finish up with the additional revenue streams, you know, you can create, you can put garages on the property that doesn't have them and you can charge for them. You know, you can put, you know, storage units on the property that doesn't have it in the basements and charge for useless. You know, we're not talking about that mom and pop stuff. We're not talking, we all know you can create additional revenues. Um, Institutionally though, you know, these are, yes, things that you can do, but even without those things, there are certain additional revenue streams. And I think we covered them more or less today the question that's gonna pop up is how do you underwrite them? Like how much is logical and how much is reasonable to underwrite for additional revenue streams? I think my answer to that is the same as it is for underwriting every line item in real estate, which is no matter what you do, you don't underwrite percentages. You don't underwrite this is going to be a certain percentage of your top line revenue. You don't underwrite this is going to be a certain percentage of your NOI. People's behavior is not denominated in percentages. How many loads of laundry somebody does is a function of dollars. It's a function of lifestyles. How much, you know, how many late fees, how many, you know, how much rubs, it's a very difficult thing to underwrite, really. But if you study it and you look at national averages, there probably will emerge some kind of picture that's probably going to lead you to believe somewhere between 3 and 5% of the top line. Um,
2: again, that's an output, not an input.
1: That's an output, not input. I hesitate to tell you to do that because each property is individual. Each tenant-based profile is individual. You just have to look very carefully at those things. Um, So, So, Ben, let's jump
0: into that. So let's just say someone's working their first syndication in a market they're starting to be an expert in. What did you guys do to lean on other experts in the area? Were you having those conversations with your property management company saying, you know, here's the
2: national averages, what are you seeing in the marketplace and how do you back into so, those? Yeah, so, so you're looking at a few different sources. Um, before we started talking with the property manager, there's something called the IREM report, I-R-E-M, and they survey thousands and thousands of apartment owners and landlords and come up with averages. And it can drill down to my sub-market, it can drill down to my age of my building, the style of my building, um, so it's very specific. Um, and that's one of the best sources. And we'll talk we use that a lot for expenses. When we get into expenses, we can talk about that too. Um, but they'll tell you between 400 to 600 and other income for our market here uh, per unit per year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then we, we also had the same conversations with the PM. So what is your data saying? And then we're combining, co- combining those two pieces of information with what the property, where the property's at now where, where are they different? Where are they the same? Um, and it's kind of just mingling those three pieces of information together to come up with our underwriting. Which is, which is great
0: for your understanding. So how would the bank underwrite those certain things as well? So what are they looking
2: at? And are they using the data that you've gathered and just kind of trusting you? So it's, it's funny. The IRAM report, I have a friend who's an underwriter at a big national bank, a commercial underwriter. And the IRAM report was actually referred by them it's It's one of the biggest sources of information for bank underwriting. Um, just these standard like obviously not for rents but for your other income, your economic loss, and all of your operating expenses most of most of their operating expenses they just come from averages
1: and, and this brings us to an interesting interesting point, which is that all of the secret sauce is in the income, like I've mentioned this before in prior podcasts, maybe even this one in. God knows in every podcast I ever go onto, to and almost every article I ever write, we know how much stuff costs to run. Yes, there are variances. Yes, there are variances due to mechanical setups, due to age of construction, due to location. But by and large, if you compare apples to apples, IREM, uh, Association of Apartment Owners, they will tell you, what their research is indicating as far as how much it costs to run things. And what you do as a reasonable underwriter is you don't assume that you can do things better than everyone else. You assume that you're going to be average. And if you overperform, you're just lucky and count your blessings and move on with life. So if the expense I call it burn if the burn is going to be the same for you as it is for everybody else then you better be able to find your delta on the income side because that's the only place you're going to find it and this is just a glaring example like people ask well how much you know how much how how do you know how much stuff's going to cost well it's not like it's a freaking you know unknown to mankind, magical number, you know, there's like a billion apartment units that other people are running in this town. What's it cost them? I mean, why are you going to be any different?
2: And and the one one exception that I know of is Fannie and Freddie, when they're calculating DSCR specifically, they will use your T12 other income. But for the most other uses, they're using averages.
1: But th- that takes us into an interesting conversation, which is where we underwrite to ourselves and our investors on this hand. And on this hand, we underwrite to the lender. Mm. And on this hand, we underwrite to the property manager. So there's, there's, everybody's got a different perspective on the same deal. And everybody's got this box this thing's got to fit in because that's how they think and that's how they know things. you know. So it's part of what we do is to be able to do that. And frankly, when, when we have to underwrite to the lenders, I just have a heart attack. So Sam just handles it because I'm like, you want me to do what with what and why? It's just, so he just, he just does it. Cause he just, he handles the lenders. He just does it. He, he lets them see stuff in the way that they are comfortable looking at stuff. I just want to see stuff, how I think it's going to be real. That's not necessarily how everybody wants to look at stuff.
2: Yeah. And getting a little sidetracked here, but yeah, the biggest difference I would say is the lenders underwrite lower operating expenses than what we present to our investors. Um, and
1: so and so they do that because then that allows them to underwrite lower income as well. Okay, and they 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 think they're gonna be conservative. Listen. Uh, I had an investor call me who is a sophisticated guy. He's a Wall Street guy. He's an analyst. Uh, He invests with us and he does a lot of other things working on Wall Street for a private equity firm and does mergers and acquisitions and all that kind of stuff. Well, of course, like many people, he hooked up with us because he wanted to learn hands on what this kind of back of the kitchen looks like. Because he wants to be us at some point. So as part of that whole process, he's talking to brokers. He's putting himself on the email list. So one day he calls me and says, there's this deal. Uh, You know, I'm not going to tell you which broker it was, because I learned from when you guys yelled at me, when I yelled at CCIM and like the first show or the second show or something, and you guys ganged up on me and, 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 and I'm not going to say the name, but it's a national broker. So he called me and he said, listen, they're telling me, they're convincing me, they're offering me to speak to their underwriting department, that uh, real estate broker, like people selling multifamily. They're convincing me that my operating cost per door is going to be this. And he gave me a number. And I just laughed because it's about $500 less. The low of the range that Sam and I would even consider below. Forget about the average or the high, okay? So there's there's as many opinions on this as there are people in the room willing to discuss the matter. But once you are there actually running the property, and actually backing out your trailing numbers and understanding what it really costs, you know, you, 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 that's why Irem is kind of nice. Because instead of providing you with underwriting guidelines, they provide you with real-world-looking research, actual research of what people are seeing things cost in the marketplace.
2: And and going back to your point, Scott, about using the PM, that's a huge advantage of using a PM that has 10,000 units under management in your own, in this one market. Uh, They have tons of data. They actually have more data than the IRM report.
1: But the trick is to get the time of day from guys like that, Hmm. because they don't just pick up the phone just because you called, because you think you're smart and extremely well, good looking. They, they they don't just pick up the call. So the question: is, How do you get in with these guys? How do you get the time of day with these guys? That's a different show.
0: Yeah, and one of the best tips I heard in the last couple of years was pay them for their time. Yes, take them for lunch and pay them. Separate yourself. You know, develop those relationships because real estate is a relationship business. And what Ben does, Ben's got some secrets, but he's not willing to divulge them yet,
1: right? No, I'm not okay. <laughs> I'm really quite good at what I do And the things that I'm not Sam's really good at So we got it covered Sounds good Good Meant show
0: Great show Why don't you Where wrap in. Time. I think we're, uh, we're coming up on 30-35 minutes Perfect Alright I think we got this
1: 30 minute thing down I think so yeah. the name, You guys, the name. wanted to do that You guys are busy <laughs> Everybody's busy. Everybody listens to these things in their car. So we're we, we just like, how can we like skip the fluff and get right into the core of the matter and within 30 minutes really punch very hard and deep dive on a subject? I'm hoping it's working out. I'm hoping that now six shows in, you're realizing what this is all about, a roundtable kind of spitballing back and forth. This is going to get even more unscripted because for the first few shows, we have to underscore the basis, Hmm. uh, kind of a, a baseline of knowledge. So we kind of, we are unscripted about how we are going about it, but we know at least what we need to cover. As we move further, as we get through kind of underlining the baseline then it's really gonna become very unscripted. Hey, what's going on in my life right now with the projects that are going on? And at that point, it becomes very, very unscripted and very real because it's literally translation of what we're seeing uh, at any given time in real time. So that's what you have looking forward to, to look forward to, I guess. But my name is Ben Labovich. I am here with Sam Samuel Grooms and Scott Hollister. This is, a, this is a pleasure to speak to you guys. It's a privilege. We appreciate the opportunity, the presence of mind, and the presence of time to be able to sit down and talk to serious people about serious things in a serious way.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Multifamily Syndication Unscripted with your hosts, Ben, Sam, and Scott. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time on Multifamily Syndication Unscripted.
1: For Samuel, Scott, and myself, have a great day. We'll talk to you in the next show. Ciao.
2: You just couldn't help yourself. (laughs) <laughs> I had to take away Scott's outro. <laughs>
1: Man, <laughs> yeah. Look at Scott; he's bent over. Oh, <laughs> no, it hurts. Mine, Yours again. <laughs> <laughs> look, Sam <gone>. Scott. <laughs> 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 That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs>